episode of Agrosurgery Update, Science Guiding Treatment. Today, we will focus on the operative treatment of ruptures to the anterior tibial tendon. These injuries are rare and often difficult to treat as they are frequently diagnosed delayed. It is our great pleasure to have Dr. Johansen with us, and we will talk about his publication, Surgical Treatment of Tibialis Anterior Tendon Rupture, which was published in Foot and Ankle Surgery in 2021. The study is among those with the largest patient samples available. Dr. Johansen is senior consultant at the foot and ankle department in the Hüvedervice University Hospital, Denmark. He specialized in surgery of the ankle and foot and has authored and co-authored numerous PubMed-listed articles. Jens, would you be so kind and give us a brief overview of your study? Yes, first of all, I'd like to thank you so much for inviting me to join you on this podcast. I'm very honored to have the opportunity to participate. So thank you very much. Okay, so I will just briefly go over the publication, Surgical Treatment of Tibialis Anterior Tendon Rupture, which, as you said, was published in 2021. This was a four-center study. So we conducted the study with four foot and ankle centers, including patients, in order to get the number as big as possible. And even though we had four centers, we still only reached 48 uh, patients, which is, to my opinion or my knowledge, the biggest series so far. So overall, the literature shows that operative repair results in a very good outcome in most patients with tibialis anterior tendon rupture. And the study I conducted with my colleagues compared the clinical outcome in patients with anterior tibial tendon rupture treated with different surgical treatments and techniques. So the rupture of the anterior tibial tendon can be both acute or chronic. The acute lesions will often be caused by a sharp cutting trauma or by blunt or hyperplantar flexion trauma. Spontaneous ruptures are rare and most ruptures are due to degenerative changes. Surgical repair is the preferred treatment for physically active patients regarding to the literature that we know. So this multicenter cohort study was conducted, as I said, at four different foot and ankle specialized clinics. We in included a, a total of 48 patients with surgically treated tibialis anterior rupture. We used VASFA PROM, the VASFA PROM score, and this was recorded pre- and post-operatively in all patients. We had a mean follow-up time at 30 months. So regarding the, uh, the surgical technique, we used different types of techniques. There was end-to-end -end suture or direct suture. This was mostly used for the acute tendon ruptures, but also for some of the ruptures with delayed suture. We tried to operate on the tendons once we had the diagnose. But there was a lot of delay on the diagnosing on these uh, lesions. So the surgical technique within the, the study will differ from end-to-end -end suture, direct suture, or some sort of extensor halosis longus or semitendinosus tendon transfer in order to get the gap reduced from the chronic ruptures. The results of our study showed that there was a significant difference in age between patients who stated good versus fair as uh, the post-op result and a significant difference between very good versus fair. And to translate this into normal language, the younger age the patient had, the more probable they were to, to say that the result of the surgery was only fair instead of good or very good. So the younger the patient, the poorer the result. So younger patients 
in our study, do worse than older patients after surgery when rating the results. We couldn't find any significant difference from older versus younger age, looking at the results, poor, fair, good, and very good. Uh, and there were no significant linear relation between age, post-operative prompts, uh, and the improvement in the patient-related outcome measure we used. The results showed us that TBL's anterior tendon rupture is both acute and chronic. We could not identify any significant difference in clinical outcome or the patient-related outcome measures between acute or delayed suture from the TBL's anterior tendon rupture. And we did not find any significant advantage from any of the special surgical techniques used. So they all show the same results, no matter which technique we used. But we still have to be sure that this was, in comparing these things, it was a small series. So we recommend that further multicenter studies are suggested in order to evaluate the efficiency of primary repair or to allograft reconstruction or tendon transfers. Again, thank you very much for this nice outline. And as you said, it is probably the study with the largest patient cohort. Maybe let's start. Do you have an explanation why you found similar results depending on the way you treated them? I guess you would rather expect that if you do a direct repair in an acute case, that would turn out better than a delayed case and uh, interposition with uh, the STG, for example. Yeah. And uh, along with that, you said there were some indicators that younger patients did do inferior. Could you state on these two? Yeah, I mean, we, we, we do not have any statistical uh, stuff in the study to back up these uh, tendencies, but I have a feeling, or it seems plausible to say that the younger the patients, the higher demand they will probably have for uh, activity, mountaineering, bicycling, uh, jumping, whatever. So in the elderly patient with a low demand, they will probably not feel as much loss of the tendon as the younger, more high demand patient will. I think that doing a direct acute suture should probably be better than doing a big reconstruction with whatever you use. But the thing is that a lot of these tendon ruptures are delayed late. There are doctors delay, the patients delay because they use, I mean, extensive halosis longus and all other stuff in order to mask that they have this rupture. So in the chronic rupture, the patient, as our studies show, there's an 18 weeks delay before we actually did the surgery. So I think that if you could do acute surgery on all of them, that would be much nicer. And I think the results would be better, both for the younger and the elderly patients. My question is going in the same direction, Jens. You said the demand in the younger patient is higher, and this is probably the reason for the inferior result. Is that correct? Yeah, so that's what I assume. Yeah, that makes sense, this explanation. So coming from the other way, turning it around, an older patient has lower demand. So how big is the loss of function or the result if you perform non-operative treatment on patients with lower demand? Well, that's a very good question, Hans. In the real world, in the clinic, you'll definitely have to decide with the patient which is best for them. So if they have been walking around for 18, 20 weeks with a ruptured anterior tendon and they feel okay, I don't think you should reconstruct it. But if they are not okay with the way their foot is functioning with the rupture, 
I would definitely talk to them about doing the reconstruction, even though we know that the results are not going to be super, super great. They're still going to be better than before the reconstruction. I actually had a patient or outpatient clinic about a month ago who had a, I guess, acute and chronic rupture of the tip end. And he presented delayed three to four weeks. And he was doing pretty well. And I discussed with him non-op and operative options. And he couldn't make up his mind. He actually was a general physician who had his own practice. And he came back to me about two days and he told me, that he is doing fine and that he would follow non-op treatment. So for the non-op treatment, what would you recommend? Would you put him in, especially as you're obviously going to see him delay, would you still put him in a boot for a certain time? Would you have him do physiotherapy and work on the the compensatory extensors like extensor halitus longus and digitorum longus? Or do you have any special regime in place for the non-op treatment? That would be individually based because I definitely let them go to a physiotherapist. I would only put them in a boot if they were in pain or, or had any trouble. When you see them in the outpatient clinic, if they were pain-free, I have no trouble at all. I don't see the point of a boot if they're going to go conservative or non-surgically. I would definitely let them do physiotherapy in order to get all the other stuff going. So in case you perform surgical treatment, what's your post-op protocol first? And second, does the post-op protocol differ depending on the technique you use, meaning direct repair, uh, EHL uh, transfer, or... Yeah. yeah. So so for the, the patients included in this study, there was only minor differences between the uh, different centers post-op protocol. Normally, or most of the patient had like six to eight weeks of non-weight-bearing boot treatment. There was one center who put them in five degrees of dorsal extension in the boot. So they put them in a little bit of dorsiflexion in the angle in order to take the tension out of the repair. I would put them in neutral, but five degrees of dorsal flexion is also okay. But there's a tendency that the bigger the reconstruction, the longer the immobilization. So if you do a big reconstruction with a, with a big gap, 10 centimeter gap or whatever, they tend to do eight weeks in a boot. Whereas if you do a direct suture, I would do six weeks in a boot. But we know from all the studies done on tendon tissue that this is the tissue healing really slow. They're not ready to go. They're not good to go after six weeks, but they're ready to get out of the boot in order to not make their ankle stiff and all this stuff. We have to mobilize them at some point. And I think six to eight weeks is a very nice cutoff because you must think that the repair you've done is strong enough for them to weight bear without the boot. And then they can start off slowly on the physiotherapy. I think that's a great point. And we have that issue, I guess, with all the the tendon repairs we do. On the one hand, we want to protect our repair. On the other hand, we don't want any stiff, soft tissue healing and arthrofibrosis or tendon fibrosis. So the range of motion is limited. And did you actually look at the range of motion postoperatively, whether that could have been one point why they weren't overall that happy with the repair? Yeah, that would have been nice to to have included in the study also. We couldn't include any everything possible. So we 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 do not we didn't have any records of this, not really to show that if they had poor range of motion, they would rate the results poor as well. Yeah, the, this uh, issue regarding the tendon healing is super interesting. Uh, for example, uh, looking at the Achilles tendon, we do also know 
that a protective motion of the tendon probably will lead to a superior scar tissue. In the Achilles tendon, the tendency is going more and more for a functional aftercare. But of course, on the other hand, we always have to weigh it against our fear, the fear of the surgeon to have a re-rupture. So in case you, did you observe any re-ruptures? I think there was one patient who had a re-rupture, actually. That was one that, that had the, the tendon uh, reinserted on the navicular bone, I think, and that re-ruptured, actually. So, but for the reconstructions with different uh, tendons, there were no re-ruptures. And this might be due to the long uh, immobilization period or due to the good surgery done. You should do a nice repair and then protect it for a number of weeks, and then you should not aff- be afraid to let the patient mobilize, because otherwise they will be just walking around with a stick ankle and a, and a foot that's that's really no good and then you did all the work for for nothing really maybe one more question on the on the surgical technique i guess a, yep. a direct repair that's pretty straightforward could you maybe elaborate a little more on the indirect repairs you had the yep. stg interposition as well as the ehl transfer it seems that there was a tendency that once you use the extensor houses longos, again, I cannot show this statistically, but it seems that the repairs done with the EHL is inferior to when you use other tendons. If I have to use a tendon graft, I'd use a, a free tendon graft, either an allograft or an autograft. And one center used the uh, STG, another center used a lot of EHL tendon. So you must realize that you have some functional loss of the big toe once you use the uh, extensiles longus. So not all the patients are happy with this. Actually, one thing just for me to understand, if you could elaborate a little more on, on the EHL transfer, what did you actually do? Because if I would say... If I leave the EHL, it got a way better lever arm to actually extend the foot than putting it onto the insertion of the tip end, where obviously dramatically reduced the lever arm on, on that already pretty small muscle. It's not the FHL, it's the EHL. Exactly. I, I totally agree with you. And this is why I, I, I prefer not to use the extensor halluses longus for this technique. So we have the options to uh, to get tendon free tendon grafts from a company that will provide any tendon graft you need. So what I would try to do in the setting is I would once I go in to do the surgery for the ruptured, I would prepare for the surgery to go. I mean, I would prepare for the worst, but I would always try to do as little as possible to get the tendon ends to meet up. Sometimes I would try to do a sliding graft, or otherwise I would use a CMT or CMG and then preserve the retinaculum. So what I'm trying to get at is that you should save the retinaculum if possible around the angle in order not to get too much bowstringing, right? You guys know this, but it's it's quite hard to explain what I'm trying to hook. So, so what, I, what I'd like to do is I preserve as much as possible of the native uh, tendon, and then I would do whatever tricks I need to get ends to meet. And sometimes we do a sliding technique from the proximal end, sort of cutting it in half and then sliding half of the tendon down to meet the distal stump. This works very well for me, but there are limitations. And as you can see in the article, there's a very some some of the patients had a very large gap and some of them just had a small gap. And in my opinion, within four or five centimeters, you can easily do a more or less direct suture. So this was basically a question I stumbled upon because you do have quite a number of chronic cases. Yeah. And you are saying the average defect size was 
4.8 centimeters, I believe. Yeah. Still, you have a, a lot of chronic cases, and your mean time to surgery was 18 weeks. So yeah. before suturing or before performing a direct repair, you would have to debride at the end of the tendons. So you will end up with an even bigger defect yeah. size. But still, you were able to perform a direct repair in the majority of cases. Yeah. And I mean, we, we should get the definitions right because a direct repair is not, in my opinion, an end-to-end suture. It's a direct repair using the tendon as it is, per se. So using the sliding technique or whatever is possible, just like when you do a reconstruction of the Achilles, you might use different tricks to get ends to meet. And today we did a big reconstruction in the uh, operating theater with a chronic rupture of the Achilles tendon. And we were able to make a direct suture, but not like end to end, but it was like a sliding graft, but patient's own tendon tissue. And this is, if possible, my go-to procedure. From a technical perspective, if you do the sliding procedure, do you try to preserve the extensor retinaculum or do you cut it open and then secondarily reconstruct it? Depends on how, how bad the proximal part of the tendon is. I'm not afraid to open the extensor retinaculum and then reconstruct it afterwards. But if possible, I'd like to just leave it and just work within the tendon sheet you know, making extra incisions proximal and distal just to make sure that I still keep away as much as I can from all that normal tissue within the tendon sheet because the more you go in there, the more scar tissue you'll probably leave and you will still risk that everything just adheres when it grows back together. If possible, I'd like to leave it untouched within the tendon sheet. So the definition of, of an acute and a chronic rupture is, from my point of view, also problematic and is not well defined, to my understanding. And basically, you said, of course, I mean, you can have a direct trauma like a cut. And this is, for my understanding, the only real acute injury. All other injuries, all blunt injuries are basically acute and chronic, as you said earlier. Uh, Sebastian, but that is true for the other tendons. But as I said, there's no clear definition to my uh, knowledge in the literature. Would you do anything else in the the real chronic cases? Would you look for the muscle and MRI? How how good is the uh, muscle preserved or anything like this in the real chronic cases? Yeah, this is this is a very nice question and, and, and very hard to answer. Really, I mean, I agree that the acute sharp lesion. I mean, this is not really an issue. This is very easy to do at, at, at end-to-end suture. I mean, this is just a walk in the park, actually. But once you get into the chronic ruptures or the ruptures that are diagnostically delayed, they will all be chronic. And different articles will say different things. Most articles agree that a, a rupture diagnosed or treated within four to six weeks after uh, the rupture is acute. But, I mean, you're absolutely right. The definitions are just, they're floating. It's, it's very hard to get a grip of these definitions. So if we agree that acute is like a, a sharp cutting lesion and chronic is all the others, then most of them will be chronic. And that will leave you with a tendon that's not, that's not, it's not a healthy tendon. This is also an issue once you do your repair. I mean, you're not repairing a normal tendon that has an acute sharp lesion from, from dropping a knife in the kitchen. So these are different patients. So 
I don't think that the MRI will give me that much more information. It will tell you where the stumps are, but you're still going to find them in the OR. But what you could look for was the, the fatty degeneration of the muscle and stuff like that. But I'm not sure that would give you a lot of a lot of new options for treating the patient. I think you would still have to go in there and get something from the muscle belly down to the bone or to the distal stump to work as a lever arm. So it's it's not, in my opinion, necessary or mandatory to do an MRI, but it will, of course, it will give you some information and probably you can get some some fatty degeneration information from the muscle belly as well if they're very old. Maybe as a last question and to turn the, the, the question of hands around, is there any time cutoff where you say, okay, it, it has been half a year, whatever it might be, where you might have an MRI, you look at the fatty degeneration, like we know it from the shoulder guys, and you tell them, okay, even though you ask for the surgery, it does not make any sense. We would have to do a different tendon transfer if you ask for it, but there is no way to use the tip amp anymore. Yeah, there would definitely there will be a cutoff. If I was to figure out that, I would probably use some of the guys at the uh, the lab that can do all this uh, gait and analysis. And you could get these guys to measure out how much action that the muscle belly would have. Because if you're down that line, if you're down six months, nine months after the rupture, probably the proximal stump will have healed onto some other tissue. And there will be some something working if the muscle belly is working. So it's I mean it's you're absolutely right. It's it, it's it doesn't make sense to make a tendon transfer with a with a muscle that's not working. And you might as well just figure out to do something else. Thank you so much, Jens, for your time and your precious insights on this really difficult topic. Is there anything else you would like to add? I just just make sure that you have all the options ready when, when you go into the OR, because you, you're really not, you're, you're never sure what you're going to find. Probably you are, but just make sure that you have all the options so that you can do your repair without any, uh, you know, without getting sweaty and, and, and uneasy. So prepare for the worst and hope for the best. And most of the patients will do much better with surgery than without. Jens, thank you so much for being with us on our podcast. I hope you all have enjoyed this interview on a rather rare, but as we have learned, complicated to treat injury. Thank you again for listening to Anchor Surgery Update, Science Guiding Treatment, and we hope you tune in next time.